You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Rua Space Podcast, where we help you make space for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in your everyday life. Today, I am excited to be joined by Kurt Willems, pastor, host of the Theology Curator Podcast, and recently the author of the book, Echoing Hope, How the Humanity of Jesus Redeems Our Pain. Kurt joined the podcast today despite recently having back surgery, and he's currently working through that recovery, and so we're grateful he took the time to come talk about this new book, which explores pain and suffering through the lens of the life, the humanity of Jesus. And I really enjoyed this book and our conversation here today because Kurt takes us on a journey through his own story, sharing important questions and wrestlings from that journey, ones that I know that I have personally experienced myself, questions that I've asked and I know that many others on this journey of life wrestle with as well. And he shares what he's learned along the way. And far from being a simple quick fix or a book of simple answers, Kurt offers us insight into a way that God enters our pain and the invitations of God in the midst of our suffering. So in this conversation, we begin to dig into some of the book, exploring parts that really stood out to me. And Kurt takes us on a mini journey into writing this book and gives us a peek into what it looks like for God to join us and what Jesus' humanity has to say, what it has to offer us in the midst of suffering. So friends, with that, let's jump into the conversation. I hope that you find yourself challenged, blessed, and encouraged by this interview discussion with Kurt Willems. Kurt, welcome to the Rio Space Podcast. Such an honor to get to talk with you today about your book, Echoing Hope. Hey, what a gift, man, to be here, to be uh, talking talking about the way of Jesus and uh, talking about formation. That's a, that's a spot I love to hang out in a lot. So I'm excited for the conversation. Yeah, and I really appreciate the angle that you come at here because we talk a lot about formation and spiritual disciplines and such at Rua Space, but suffering and pain, I mean, that's something everyone goes through, right? And and I yeah. don't know if the church always does a great job of equipping us or helping us sort of walk through what to do with our pain. So what brought you to this book? Why now? Why this book? Can you share a little bit of what it is and your journey to getting here? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, very, very short answer would be I wasn't planning on writing this book. I wasn't I wasn't planning on writing a book about pain. You know, when I when I set out set out to write my first book, my um, yeah, well, I've had a lot of first books that didn't actually become books. So that that's maybe one way to put it. But but to put it a little more to the point with this one, I started writing this about the humanity of Jesus and. Um, I've been fascinated by Jesus, the human, uh, not to separate Jesus from uh, his divinity. I'm very much a Trinitarian and all those things, but um, Jesus as a full human being and the implications of that for us as people, you know, I have this conviction that um, Jesus shows us what it looks like when someone is fully imaging God to the world. And if we are called to be image bearers and something about that remains, yet something about that is um, challenged, uh, we can um, look at Jesus to see what it looks like when it's all integrated. And so um, that's been something I've been interested in. 
And so Jesus as a model for becoming more human, not less, is something I think is just profound. And I get that from, you know, you can look at the Orthodox tradition. You can look at lots of different streams, but you can also look at a biblical scholar like N.T. Wright, who's really anchored this in, I think, in a lot of his work. Scott McKnight also has done a lot of work in this. And so for me, I, I wanted to take this theological idea and flesh it out in a way to um, be practical. And what can we learn from Jesus's humanity that informs us about how to be human? Well, I did that, had a book project, shopped it out with my agent. We both liked it, but publishers were like, where's the, where's the like thing that's going to draw people into this book? Content was pretty good, but what's going to actually help people want to talk about Jesus's humanity? And I was like, I don't know. I like Jesus's humanity. What's wrong with that? You know, and they, uh, they were like, yeah, but you're you and you're not the average person in the pew on a Sunday morning, you know? Um, and, and I was like, yeah, that's probably true, you know? And <laughs> so, so basically we, uh, came back after that feedback and it, you know, it was a major publisher gave me, definitely gave me the time of day and talked to me about, how they appreciate me, they like my writing. They, you know, they gave me the meeting, even though the meeting was going to be centered around no on this project. So I, I, I was pretty encouraged by that, but also super discouraged because I'd been trying to, at that point, it's been eight years of ups and downs trying to write my first book, and, um, you know, getting published is not an easy thing. It, it doesn't just happen usually, unless, you know, there's some circumstances, I suppose. But average folks like myself, you know, we don't just like come up with a great idea and everyone wants to publish it. You know, it's, it's hard. Um, but went back to the drawing board, took that feedback and started asking questions about the humanity of Jesus. What is it about his humanity that is compelling for regular folks? And one day it became clear that pain was that thing. And it wasn't just like, oh, here's a sales point. But it was, this is my story, you know, this is, this is my life. If I relate to Jesus in any way, increasingly so, it's through my pain. It's through the hard stuff. It's Jesus becomes human to show all of us how to be human so that we can become more human. And the common denominator we all have with Jesus is that he didn't get to escape pain. He had to walk it through. And... That says something about the God of Christianity. I think that's fascinating. I think it's um, one of the most compelling story pieces of Christianity. You know, we may not be able to prove that Jesus rose from the dead. We, you know, there's interesting arguments or whatever, but we can't like prove, prove it. Uh, but we can tell a good story. And I think the Jesus story is the greatest story. And um, I happen to believe it's true. And, um, and so when we figured out it was pain, I started just sitting at the keyboard, typing my story. Um, I had done versions of the, the, I have a story in the opening chapter. I'd done a version of that in one sermon, in one setting, a small setting, and hadn't touched it in any other setting and thought, I wonder if this could be something to help frame the book and ended up writing this thing out. It was emotional just to write it. And that led to restructuring some of the ideas that were in that original. 
And eventually this book called Echoing Hope, How the Humanity of Jesus Redeems Our Pain was born. And of course that subtitle doesn't exist without this shift in direction. And so um, I'm so glad we shifted. It's a much better book than it ever would have been without the focal point being pain. And um, I really believe that uh, if nothing else, it's an expression of the Jesus I've come to know that I can hand my kids when they're older, that I can hand to people that I love. And uh, hopefully it's more than that, but it's enough if it's that, you know? And so I'm, I'm really uh, get a lot of joy out of what this became. Yeah, that's that's an awesome story. And the book is is really challenging and really encouraging. And I wish we had time to unpack everything. But ultimately, I think the hope from this conversation is people could go buy the book and read all of it. But we can start to unpack a few of the elements that you yeah. got into, at least. And one that struck me was this, uh, to me, you're in a way redeeming the story of Thomas's interaction with Jesus for how most people read it, right? This guy who is a doubter, right? And he, he sees Jesus scars. And, and that's something that really stuck out to me. So can we start there? Talk a little bit sure. about those scars of Jesus and that redemption. And I don't know, I kind of want to be a little more like Thomas, actually, based on how I'm now reading this yeah. story. Wow. Yeah. You know what? I, in an earlier version of the book, um, and I don't mean by, by earlier, I don't mean, you know, that old humanity concept. So an earlier version of this particular book, Echoing Hope, um, I considered focusing more on Thomas and using Thomas as kind of the primary uh, metaphor for the whole book. We ended up using the empty tomb as the primary metaphor, which is why we get the echoing hope, right? Because yeah. hope is what echoes out of the empty tomb. That's kind of how how I frame the story. Um, and I and I'm I think I made the right choice there, but that kind of just tells you how compelling I find Thomas. Thomas is like, look, I I can't believe this thing until I see, not just see Jesus, but I wanna see the fact that it's really Jesus. I need to see, you know, the the scars as, as the story goes. Um, we were we were trying at one point, we were messing with like, can we get the word scar into a title that doesn't come off as a bummer, you know, <laughs> and, and we really couldn't, yeah. you know, God scars or, you know, and it Ooh, just was like, yeah. nah. <laughs> it, it's like provocative, but it doesn't, it's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to be hopeful here. Um, and, you know, um, I think I have a line in the book, something like, you know, Thomas misses like multiple opportunities um, to be able to see the resurrected Jesus. He's the one disciple who's not at, um, this sort of like little party that happens. And, um, it's like, he missed the, what's the line? Something like he missed his Evite or something, you know, he yeah. just didn't show up. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so what's fascinating is it takes him and I'd have to go back and look. And by the way, friendly listener, you, you need to know some about me. I'm three weeks post-surgical. I had a major spine operation, spinal fusion surgery. So I'm partially medicated right now and super tired. So my, my lining up of info facts and my really long jabbering rants are all, I'm going to be blamed on that. But okay. We're all about so, mercy and grace here. Mercy thank and you. Grace, thank brother. you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, 
also my weird transitions that you can't see or me squirming in chair to adjust. Um, so, so I think it's something like a week or something before Thomas is uh, able to actually see Jesus and um, he sees these scars and, and you start to wrestle with like, why in the world besides like, Thomas wanting some sort of like epistemological tr truth or something, you know, like, oh, this is real. Like, why, why scars? Like, do you imagine the worst of burn victims having scars in the new creation? I, I don't, you know, I, I imagine those being healed. Do you imagine some of the worst victims of any kind having evidence of that in their resurrected bodies? I, I personally don't. Um, I might be wrong about that, but I just don't see... Um, redemption in it, I guess. So, so why, why Jesus with scars? And one of the things that I'm just so convinced of is that when you look at Jesus's scars, you actually are seeing that in Jesus's pain, all pain is redeemable. That, that Jesus doesn't shy away from the pain, but it's actually, um, the scars are that sort of tangible reminder that Jesus moves through the pain and is able to redeem something out of it. And of course, that redemption comes as a result of resurrection, but it is indeed redeemed. And um, there's something beautiful brought out of something totally horrendous. So, so yeah, there's a lot there. I don't know if I got to the thing that stuck out to you about Thomas, but those are some things that I remember uh, initially, at least as I think about that section. Yeah, I think it's, it is that part you hit on that even our pain is redeemable by God. And one of the things that really stuck out to me along that line too is the fact that the scars are still there. Like yeah. they're healed and, and you were sort of getting at that. Why would he still have them? And I think that goes to show that as we look at the stories of our lives, especially as we go further back or even recently, wherever you felt or experienced pain, you may feel like, well, first, maybe why did that happen? And that's a whole nother conversation, right? And you go into that side yeah. of your book, but, but sort of the question of, okay, if it's redeemable, like can't God just heal it and make it go away? But the fact that Jesus scars are still there, I think there's something shaping about it, right? And I would yeah. never say, you know, in your book, you talk about you and your wife experiencing a miscarriage and that hit home for me because my wife and I have gone through that twice. And we had that wow. same, like reading it. I'm like, yeah, that was the same experience sitting in the doctor's office, getting that news. And I would never say God caused that to teach us something or to shape us. Right. But on the other side of, of sort of bringing that to God and being angry and having the doubts and having the questions, God still used it to shape us. And now I actually, I don't think I'd want that scar to go away, if that makes sense. It's sort of like I yeah, actually am yeah. grateful for how it brought my wife and I together and brought me closer to God. Even though God didn't cause it, yeah. I think God wept with us. There's something shaping and ultimately redeemable about that that now we can go forth and offer comfort to people with that scar. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. It's so, so true. And the, the hard thing is right. We, if we were born perfect, you know, if we were born without any problems and fully mature and fully perfect, um, then I would have a huge pain, uh, a huge problem with God allowing pain in a world like ours. Right? Like, Although Jesus was, and so maybe maybe I'm I'm being selfish there. I don't know, but but my point is that the the fact is that we are we enter this world, and I'm not trying to get too deep into like original sin theory or anything. So you 
play, be playful with what I'm about to say, but we enter this world and we're broken, you know, in the sense that, um, we don't have it all together. We're ill-equipped for life in what would be the renewed creation, right? We're just not, we're not resurrected, right? We're, we're born into this, the broken space of this crazy messed up web of evil that somehow God is at work in. And, um, and yet what does God do? God allows not, not, you know, God doesn't like cause all this, but like allows these things to impact us. These really hard and traumatic things, these things that cause wounds to wound us and in wounding people who are already metaphorically wounded by the brokenness that we're born into, we're actually set up to be healed. It's fascinating if you really think about it. It's a wound that heals. And, and it's not the wound in and of itself that heals. It's the process of God awareness and self-awareness that can come through the journey of being healed. Um, that in that we we eventually scar up, we get some tougher tissue there. And, and it's a reminder of, wow, I can I survived that. And now as a result, I can be someone different. I can be someone new. I can be someone more equipped to stand and face a broken world than I was before that happened. Even though that thing that happened was horrendous, evil, wrong, terrible, whatever whatever label that needs to be attributed to it. And and I guess one way to put it, and I don't use this word in the book, I probably should have. I, I must have gotten this from Brian McLaren or someone years ago, but talk, he talks about um, God being into recycling, you know, God, God's really good at recycling stuff that's broken and pulling out all that is possible that could be good. And I think that's what God does in our brokenness is draw out what could be, what, what, what's salvageable here. And, and that does involve most of the time, um, you know, I don't think these are absolutes, but most of the time that involves a, a person who is open to participation in that journey with God. God's not going to force that journey. Um, I think God, by miracle, when able, probably does things that are beyond participation. But for the most part, I think it's when I cooperate with that move of God that I can actually see those beautiful things start to emerge. And so, um, yeah, I want to join in that, see those scars and let those scars be reminders that who I was yesterday isn't who I am going to become. And, and, and the sense I got in the book, and I think you did a really good job with this, is that the space that you're in now and speaking out of is not the place you always were at, right? Like you talk in the book about that story you taught of um, your childhood, right? And some of yeah. the violence and abuse that you experienced as a child. And one of the things I really appreciate that you did is, and we can get into this part in sure. a second, is this question of where was Jesus in the room? And I appreciate that you didn't just jump to an easy answer of, oh yeah, the first time I asked it, I saw Jesus. I understood it. I got it all was healed, right? There's yeah. probably many people listening to this who are have are experiencing abuse or look back at a traumatic event and say, I, I don't, I still feel like it's open and it's festering. I, even, even if the yeah. star has come, I, I don't feel like it's been redeemed. I don't feel like it's been, it's been good. That's a journey, right? 
And I know one yeah. of the practices you talk about is using our imagination to reimagine the event. And of course, the importance of having community and someone who can walk through you so you're not, you know, re-traumatizing yourself on yeah. your own. But that, that practice by St. Ignatius, and Greg Boyd even talks about this imagination practice, I think in his book, uh, Seeing is Believing. But can you Ooh, sort of yeah. take us into the role of imagination, returning to our pain, and then sort of how you process that. So a lot there, but let's go into that imagination piece just to start. Yeah, yeah. So I am deeply formed, I think, well, by the spiritual formation tradition in general. Um, I'm a spiritual director now, so I, I definitely have done some training around some of these things. And Ignatian spirituality is, yeah, that's my that's my jam. That's, my, that's a lane I like to drive in when I can, when I'm not too distracted uh, from... <laughs> <laughs> my uh my you know spasticness of life i'm trying to learn to slow down and and really lean into the practices but um imagination i believe just has so much power and i i grew up in with this sort of implied belief that imagination was the pretend space mm -hmm. and not the not real you know where i've come to realize that the imagination is actually sometimes pretend space and sometimes the space within which we can inhabit deep realities that we don't know how to manifest physically yet and and maybe we never will um but it's also a space where god can linger god you know i believe that the holy spirit works in all parts of us and the mind and the deep soul mind intersection whatever that looks like in reality where where God is able to engage us at this fundamental level, um, I believe that's more true than a lot of things that we think are true. And so I was in therapy during this time and this one particular traumatic event kept coming up in our therapy. It's kind of this like paradigm shaping um, event for some of the stuff I, I was walking through. You know, my, my therapist was really good at making connections. You know, he would be like, you know, what you just said reminds me of this thing, which leads us back to that little boy who's scared, you know, and I'm like, oh, dang it, <laughs> crazy guru. You know, it's an amazing, amazing dude. I, uh, I've actually probably given him half his business because I recommend him all the time to people who need therapy. Um, but he, uh, he, he actually invited me to, you know, I know in my story, knowing where I was at, my own spiritual formation journey too, he, he had some training in spiritual direction. So he was kind of a, um, well, well-trained to be able to do this, but he basically said, I, I want you to sometime go find a quiet space and walk that memory through the grid of asking the question, where is Jesus in the room? And it's going to be hard. You're going to be walking through something traumatic. But see, as you replay that memory in your mind, in a posture of prayer, if you can find Jesus in the room, what's he look like? How is he engaging? What's he, what's he think? What's he think of you? You know, all of those kind of things. And, you know, he, munch, <laughs> he must have mentioned that idea to me more than once. Like, he, it wasn't like he gave me an assignment and I followed through that week. I'm not. I mean, that, that sounded crazy on one level, but also really hard on another. Oh, yeah. Um, I, so I'm pretty sure he planted seeds a few times for this practice. And I finally was like, okay, I'm just going to give this a shot. 
You know, I want, I want to grow. I want, I want to find more healing in my life. And, um, and I did. And, um, you know, how, how I frame it in the book is hundred percent my experience. I, I'm looking around and I'm just like, where's Jesus? Like what, this is supposed to be this deeply impactful spiritual moment. And I can't find you. What, what do I do with that? And, and it becomes really the story that frames a lot of the questions we have about our traumas and, um, and yeah, and I think, you know, I, there's more to the story that I won't get into now, but there's, there's a sense that, um, we all want Jesus to be in the room in our most desperate times, you know, in our most, um, vulnerable moments. And, and I think that's beautiful, natural. Um, I still want that. I still long for that. A lot of the time, what is true about the formation journey is we won't be able to find Jesus um, until much distance has passed between the the pain or the trauma. Sometimes it's both pain and trauma. Sometimes it's just painful, you know, um, the loss of a loved one, uh, something really just emotionally heavy. Uh, but distance sometimes allows us to see the ways in which God was at work and we didn't notice, you know, it's that, um, that practice almost kind of intersects with the practice of examine. There's a lot of things at the end of the day, when I remember to do examine, which isn't every day, but you know, when I do it, uh, that I go back and say, oh, God was like there in a way I didn't notice. But now that I'm noticing, I find gratitude, you know, I find, um, a fresh sense of meaning, a fresh sense of purpose, um, whether it was a um, consolation or desolation, I think it's the fancy words that get used sometimes, right? Like whether it was like a, a high or a low, um, Jesus was there mm. and that can be amazing. Um, and so, so that's what this imaginative prayer exercise that usually is applied to like a gospel story you know, imagining yourself in the gospel story. Are you Jesus? Are you Peter at the sea? Are you an onlooker? You know, all these things that you might come up with, um, but applying it to your own text, your own, what hopefully we will frame as good news, our own gospel, you know. Um, but sometimes what we would like to frame as good news really doesn't feel that good. And that's, uh, that's okay. I think God can handle that. So was there a was there a moment then, or was it the process itself for you to finally see Jesus in the room with you? Do you mind sharing like where is Jesus, and was can you think of a moment, or was it just over time where you were realizing, oh, that's where Jesus was? Yeah, yeah. You mean with that particular story? Yeah, yeah. No, it happened so. Um, it's a bit of a spoiler alert, so I, I'll, I'll just give it, I guess. Um, there's a significant space. It felt significant. I don't know if, how long it was, to be honest with you, but it was the same day. It was in the same prayer experience, but there's a significant gap between when I couldn't find Jesus and when Jesus eventually shows up in a very powerful way. And I think I'll, I'll keep that a little abstract since it, kind of is part of the book um, in a way that I think will be anyway, um, yeah. creatively strategically told. But 
but yes, that it was during the same experience, but there was proud. There's several minutes where I'm just sitting there frustrated. Like, this is so like, why did I even do this? I want you to be here. Why aren't you here? You know? And, um, and then, you know, Jesus shows up and it's not how I expected. And I think that's so true about, um, us as we process trauma and pain and sadness, you know, that, uh, we want Jesus to be present, but it's often not how we want Jesus to be present or expect Jesus to be present because what we all want in those moments, especially in the middle of them is the God who has a magic wand, who whisks away all the dangers in our life. And that, that God doesn't, it's not that that God doesn't exist per se, but the circumstances of a free world where there are multiple, and I get into this in the book, I'm not going to try and do it right now too much, but where there's multiple forces at work, multiple um, intersecting free wills at work in our cosmos, all leading to this one moment that is hard for you or me. Um, God has given the world free will and rarely interrupts free will. There might be a few moments where that happens, but it's fairly rare. Even in the Bible, it's fairly rare. Um, because God, uh, yeah, God has chosen to allow this world to be free so that free people can freely not just choose God, but discover who they are in God without any kind of coercion, even if it were positive coercion towards happiness. And, um, and so God is certainly influencing, God is certainly active, where free will gives God space God will heal. God will do the miraculous thing. I mean, that, it's in the New Testament both ways. Like sometimes Jesus heals people. And then sometimes the Bible actually says things like he could not heal very many people there, like in Nazareth, right? So there's there's um, even biblical precedent for the fact that God doesn't always get what God wants. Um, and so, so I guess I just kind of frame that and say that we want God to fix our problems in the middle of them. God, I think at the core wants to do that too, when possible, but because it's not always possible, God does the second best thing, which sometimes profoundly becomes the first best thing in an odd way, because it there's some deep, profound brokenness becomes redeemed, you know, that comes out of that. It's kind of like your image of the scar actually means something to me now. It's that reaction after the fact. Um, and so, yeah, I think, uh, I think it's a mystery, a lot of it, but there is the God who is with us. But I think the way God is with us in situations where God's intervention is only so much is the God of empathy rather than the God of meticulous control. Mm -hmm. And I've chosen to say, I'd rather have the God of empathy, the God who is weeping with me in the room, the God who is feeling what I feel, the God who is experiencing my trauma with me and having to hold it along with the trauma of every free creature in the cosmos throughout history. Imagine that God who holds it all at the same time and then invites us to know the sufferings of Jesus. What sufferings are those? Well, it's the sufferings of the entire cosmos throughout history mm. plus the cross, right? So it's, <laughs> so, so you, you know, um, the empathy of Jesus is 
powerful because in Jesus's most challenging moments, he doesn't get to whisk away pain for himself either. Even when he kind of asks God the Father, if it's possible, he doesn't. He chooses the hard road. And um, Jesus says, I chose the hard road so that you can know that I will choose um, to walk with you through your hard road. And I think there's something profound about that. Yeah, I think that's the beautiful part of the incarnation, right? Like Jesus yeah. joins us and is here. And it's not just about where we go someday when we die, right? As if that was the only reason Jesus came. Yeah. But this yeah. fact that Jesus suffered and you know, you go into Psalm 22, which I mm -hmm. really loved how you interpret this question of Jesus, this cry of Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I really appreciate when people bring in a rabbinical understanding of how things were written a few thousand years ago, because this idea yeah. and this fact that biblical authors wouldn't always quote the entire passage, right? They would leave you in uh -huh. one spot and they would get clever with it sometimes. In fact, sometimes they would quote one thing and they want you to actually see the opposite thing. And until you see it, you think they're saying something completely different. And yeah, yeah. When talking about Psalm 22, where Jesus uses this cry, but then we have to know the rest of the Psalm, right? To see the full yeah. part of what Jesus was saying. So can you take us into that Psalm a little and what that's meant uh, to you in this book? Totally, totally. And, you know, it's, it's really cool. I, um, this was a, this is based partially on a good Friday sermon I gave like four years ago. And, um, you, when I, so I'll rewind even further from there. I went to seminary and I had a buddy who also is called Phil. Um, <laughs> and he, um, this was his ma his master's project was this passage and it's interaction with the Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And um, what he, he masterfully did was a full blown exposition of why the um, passage isn't about God withdrawing from Jesus, but it's actually about Jesus being the father being drawn close to Jesus. And, you know, we often hear, oh, this is when God, the father separates from God, the son, or uh, turns his back. You know, there's certain um, theological schools that would say this is the God, um, you know, actually inflicting punishment through forsaking the son. You know, this is how God the father forsakes the son and bruises the son to use some of the language. Um, and my buddy Phil masterfully wrote, no, this is not that at all. And, and it wasn't the first time I'd heard the argument. Um, I actually understood the argument before Phil did. So it wasn't like it was brand new revelation, but he wrote 30 pages on it which I had not done. And so I was able to draw some of his best um, concepts um, for this Good Friday sermon that I did several years ago, uh, like three or four years ago. And and so when I came to this chapter, I grabbed that Good Friday talk of mine and I was like, oh yeah. And then I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure I got some of this from Phil. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna give him a, a, a credit. And so he's actually credited in the book with because I, I, you know, you want to cite your your buddies and cite your sources. So he he did great work, and I was able to borrow a quote that he used and a graph that he used. I mean, such a good stuff. And, and here's the bottom line: the Jewish people, you know, and I'm speaking as someone in the Second Temple time. You know, the time when uh, they return after exile and the time of Jesus, etc. Um, 
I would have to talk to Jewish people today, but I'm sure they would back this up even today, uh, that when they would quote a line of scripture, they, they often had the entire context of that line in mind. Absolutely. And so when Jesus quotes one line, he's actually quoting all the lines. And that's a really important thing because Psalm 22 is like a lot of the Psalms, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Everything's gone to crap. Everything's terrible. Enemies are circling me. Everything's going terrible. Um, are you going to save me from this distress? And then it eventually gets to, but I will trust you. You are there. Blah, you know, you are, you are the God who um, won't leave me. <laughs> so the God who forsakes apparently also is the God who is ever present and doesn't forsake mm. after all, right? And, and that's the point. Jesus is saying, I feel forsaken even though I know I'm not. If we can grab that from Jesus, how many of us felt forsaken? I mean, all of us, right? God, where are you? What the heck? Like, I totally feel ripped off in this. Like, I thought I was finally going to get that job or that promotion or that opportunity. I thought I was finally going to get that relationship, that baby we've been trying for, that um, that my, my mom or dad was going to be healed of this disease, that you were going to finally bring a lot of broken things from my past together and make them work, that you were fine, you know, all the finally things that don't work out. We feel forsaken. We feel dejected. We feel like, all right, God, whatever. Apparently you're not really for me. Maybe I have something wrong with me. Maybe I have secret sin and this is how you punish me. Even if our theology say that doesn't work that way, it's maybe how I feel in that moment, right? There's all kinds of things. And apparently for Jesus, he's saying, look at my crucifixion, look at my life and notice that in my most forsaken moment, I'm not actually forsaken. God's empathy must be there even if God's not taking me off this cross. Mm. Oh, how many crosses have you felt like you've been on that God didn't take you off of? Jesus gets it. Jesus feels it. And can you, can you imagine the weight and the misery of God the Father, the misery of the Trinity in the crucifixion? And imagine the misery that God, Father, Son, and Spirit feel when you're experiencing your own death, your own heartache, your own sufferings. Um, you are forsaken experientially, but you are not forsaken in actuality. And that is a liberating word. And if we don't pay attention to the little nugget there, the little nuance there, we miss the gift that lies within there. And um, I, of course, I break this down in the chapter a little bit more detailed. There's beautiful comparison to like how Mark tells a story to how the psalmist tells a story that totally clues us in that um, what I'm saying isn't just hot air, that there's actually intentionality. So I, I, uh, yeah, encourage people to check out the second to last chapter. Cause I, I think, um, I think there's something so liberating about looking at the cross and noticing Jesus's human experience and uh, noticing, hey, that sounds a lot like my life. Mm, so good. So Psalm 22 might be a good one to do some Lexio Divina with or memorization or something to return to because yeah. so much there. Well, Kurt, oh. you know, I could talk about this all day, but I think people should go read the book and we've just begun to scratch the surface. But as we come to the end here, do you have like a final word of challenge or encouragement or insight for someone who's dealing with a past trauma or man, maybe they're walking through it today and they're asking that question, 
where is Jesus in this? Yeah. Wow. Well, I do want to say that the combination of therapy, if it's a good therapist, um, you know, and, and most of them are decent, you know, most of them are actually pretty decent. Don't go to someone who says they're going to, they're going to cure your pain with Bible verses. That's not what I'm talking about. True story. Yeah. You go to someone who has a legit, uh, therapy degree and is licensed before their state board and all that good stuff. Um, I would say therapy is helpful. I would say spiritual direction is very helpful as well. And I would say um, practices of, um, you know, the kinds of things that you all are trying to help empower people to do, uh, the spiritual formation practices of the Christian life within the context of community. I think these are the things that help us prepare for pain and process pain uh, at the same time. Uh, I would say that for the person who has past trauma, the, the resonance with my book will be stronger than the person who has current trauma. Um, now here's, here's why I say that the person with current trauma is often looking for quick answers to fix the trauma. I, I just can't offer that. And I don't think any resource really is going to offer that. I think therapy is the first space you want to inhabit during current trauma if possible. Um, however, that doesn't mean I, you know, I, I think it's thoroughly possible that you're going through something painful and this book will be helpful. I, I try to make it helpful in that way, but it's just not, it's, it's going to be the number two versus the number one, you know, the number one would be, yeah, you have past things you're walking through, but here's what I do think. Um, why, why this book? Um, I would say this book is about empowering people to walk into pain differently. So it's not necessarily like you've gone through the deepest, darkest griefs of your life. And here's a book to comfort you. This is not a comfort book. Although I think if you walk through the spiritual practices I offer at the end of each chapter, you might actually end up comforted in some way. Um, this is a book to say, we're all broken. We all deal with stuff. We're all going to encounter pain. Um, it might look like child abuse, like it did for me, or the loss of a pregnancy, like it does for many people. Uh, it might look like a lot of different things than I name in the book. But even with that, we all have pain. And so we're all invited to step into that pain different than we started. And so I think Jesus models the kind of life that um, steps into pain differently. And so while the first part of the book is about our world's broken, here's what we know about the world. Where is Jesus in it? How do we even understand a sin-filled world like ours? Um, the part two through four is just like life of Jesus. And I was going to say 101, but that probably isn't accurate because it's not just like a soft telling of the Jesus story by any stretch, but it's kind of my manifesto on here's a vision of Jesus who steps into a pain-filled world and his own pain. And if we can capture that vision of Jesus, I think we're going to be empowered to live and love like he did when we're in the midst of our pain, when we're processing our past pain, and when we're trying to help others process their current and past pain as well. And so hopefully um, that's what this offers to people um, who lean into both the content and also the spiritual practices. Amen. And, and that part you touched on at the end, you really do in the book as well of how do we go forth 
as hope for the world. So it's about us, but it's also about the world. So highly yeah. recommend friends. The link to buy the book will be in the description in the show notes, but Kurt, if people want to go deeper with you or find out what else you're up to, where can they go? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my my uh, book website, which is kind of linked to the rest of my website, so you can find all my stuff there, is echoinghope.com. Very easy to find, echoinghope.com. And if you want to go deeper, I'd say grab the book. I That sounds like silly promotion, but it's a truth. Um, and actually, in the back of the book, it has my email address and various ways you can get a hold of me to talk to me about what you're processing. I would love to hear your stories. I would love to... Um, hear how what you read has impacted you or if you have questions about the content or anything like that. Um, that would be so um, such a joy. And as I'm able to respond, I do. Um, you can also, of course, check out Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, KurtWillems.com. That's K-U-R-T-W-I-L-L-E-M-S. Uh, and that's the at symbol, I think, is what the, the uh, interwebs does now to tell you where you're at apparently. Um, so you can find me on those three mediums. And also I have a podcast called Theology Curator, which you can find. And yeah, so those are a few things that maybe uh, would be helpful for folks if they want to go deeper. Well, Kurt, we know you are in the middle of recovery. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on. It is an honor. We appreciate it. And hopefully you can get some rest and keep her, uh, keep her covering well, brother. <laughs> Oh, wow. This is awesome, Phil. Honestly, this is one of the fun conversations I get to do. If we get to talk about formation and Jesus and, uh, man, we, you know, some of us do this for our job and that's pretty cool. And, um, not everyone does. And I, I think, Hey, uh, that's even cooler because you're doing it. Um, just because you want to know and grow. And I think, uh, keep going, keep going. It's good stuff. Amen. Well, grace and peace, brother. Hey, grace and peace. Hey friends, Phil here again. Before you go, I just want to say thank you for joining us for this conversation. And I do highly recommend click that link below to check out Echoing Hope because we did only begin to scratch the surface in this conversation. And I believe that that book can bless you no matter where you are in the journey. And then friends, if you're looking for more ways to deepen your faith, to make space in your life for what matters most, to connect with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then I do recommend check out the other link below to go to the Rua Space memberships, where we offer guided prayers and meditation, Christian yoga, and more. Really these space makers to help you in your journey connect deeper with God, your own story, and the present moment. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. We would love to be a part of this journey and anything else we can do to bless you and walk alongside of you. So friends, thank you again for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you there and in the next episode. Until next time, grace and peace be with you. Mm -hmm.